Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host and interviewer each week. You may recognize me or my voice from being the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast on Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, where each week we interview business titans, best-selling authors, people that have done remarkable things or survived remarkable tragedies sometimes. And what we learned from the growth of that podcast was it wasn't always the Hollywood celebrity or the famous singer that got the most downloads or reviews. It was often people like today's guest on this podcast, people that had remarkable careers, access to remarkable people with insights that we could relate to. And today, our guest is Jen Lim. She is the co-founder and CEO of Delivering Happiness. Now, you may recognize that name. That, of course, is the title of the very famous book from Tony Shea, the uh, CEO of Zappos, who, although passed a few years ago, his legacy and contribution to culture and happiness in the workplace is indisputable. And today, Jen is here to talk about the lessons she's learned with Tony and that she's carrying on in the new company by the same name, Delivering Happiness. Joining us from outside San Francisco, Jen, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you, Scott. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this because you sat on a front row seat for nearly a decade with your friend, Tony Shea. Of Mm -hmm. course, we know as the gentleman who grew Zappos, ultimately sold it to Amazon. And although he passed several years ago, his book, Delivering Happiness, sold over a million copies. It was a manifesto for anybody in the world that wanted to learn how to develop a culture where people choose to stay, where people mm. choose to give their all, where they love to serve their customer and serve each other. So today, I'm excited to talk about some of the lessons that you and Tony curated from his and your time at Zappos. Uh, Although you weren't an employee at Zappos, you were a confidant and colleague, curator of Tony's vision and genius, and now have gone on to co-found this new company where you help other organizations implement the insights that you and Tony curated. Why don't you Mm. do a better job of that than I just did? Rewind a couple (laughs) of decades and kind of walk us through your experience, and then we'll talk about um, some of the lessons that everybody can learn around building a great culture in 2023. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that you just packed in there. There (laughs) And you did an excellent job, covered all the C's, alliteration, (laughs) co-founder, confidant, et cetera. Uh, Wow. I, I guess just to back up, I mean, it's it's always a, a trip to hear when people like you just did describe what we've done. You know, just thinking about back in the day when we first started working on culture at Zappos and, you know, culture wasn't a buzzword yet. And you know, prioritizing people wasn't a thing yet. So I felt like those days were I liken it to a Petri dish. Uh, Tony and I were really into concepts of scientific happiness, positive psychology, just things that we were thought were interesting um, and get geeked out on just because we didn't know there was data and academic research based on these premises that sometimes people think are so subjective. So it was really cool to be able to have Zappos as this playground of being able to test these ideas of, you know, if scientific happiness comes down to levers of progress, autonomy, connectedness, and ultimately a higher purpose. And I know we use that word a lot these days. Back then, it was cool to see how to use these levers and actually increase engagement 
and retention and all the good things that we all want as CEOs, but actually do it from the angle of what happiness means and not just rainbows and unicorn happiness, even though, you know, no offense if that's your thing, but we're really into understanding what it takes to get into the authenticity of a human being and to connect that to the higher purpose of themselves and the organization. So it's always a trip to talk about that because, you know, that was like 15 years ago now. And seeing where we are today with, you know, the, the company delivering happiness, how we've helped organizations now around the world, half of our clients are still international, which is awesome, and see where we are post-COVID. Like where we were, as I say, 2020 BC, before COVID, and now it's so tremendous of an opportunity um, like my brother says, like, don't let a good pandemic go to waste. And now we're seeing how people are using it as a forcing function to really draw the line, especially as a CEO, of where do we go now? Do we try to go back to BC or do we actually understand that the way the way we were working uh, is not just going to work again? It's actually quite broken in many ways. And it's important to decipher what's actually still good and, and, and grounded and sound. But given we all got 2020, what do we need to change? And I think that's a huge opportunity for us to start making those pivots now. BC, I'm guessing, isn't before crisis, before COVID. I hadn't heard yes. that term yet. <laughs> I had not heard that term, but I'm going I'm to quote you on that and adopt it. Uh, Jen, <laughs> although it. Tony passed, I think, maybe less than two years ago or so, um, yeah. and his passing was obviously quite public, what do you want the world to know about the genius the abundance, mm -hmm. the contagious positivity, and smart business leader that was Tony Shea. Remind us who you mm -hmm. knew him to be. Yeah. And thank you for asking that because, and, and I think you mentioned this already, it was such a public passing. And in that sense, everyone had their own opinion and you know, media outlets had their own perspectives. And, and sometimes in that sort of flurry, we forget what, really who Tony was and what he did and all that happened before you know, his eventual passing. So I think what is nice now that we have time to reflect is that he was just always an explorer. You know, nothing was a bad idea. He would, wake, I mean, he would literally wake up in the morning and bounce out of bed and just instantly be you know, in his zone of doing what he wanted to do. And that not was not just about Zappos. I mean, what was in the early days, it was about his people. It was about, hey, I don't, I don't want my people. I, I suffered from the fact that, you know, I got into a company. It was my company. I didn't want to wake up anymore in it. How can I like, fix that for my own employees and for myself? And so that was his curiosity, his nature of always trying to test new things. And then that, you know, kind of led into downtown project and, and what happened in his adventures there. But I think the biggest thing about him is just, he was, he always just had a, you know, he always was kind of like a little kid um, in exploration, but so smart at, at trying to figure things out and kind of hack new ways of doing things. But I think what people forget, you know, like, he comes off as kind of this introvert. Um, he has his other sides too. Uh, but, you know, he, he always had people in mind, uh, community, and that sense of like, what can we do to connect that? 
he happened to do it in the business realm and then eventually in the community in Vegas. But I think that's the biggest thing that's part of his legacy that still lives on. And in seeing how many people out of, out of the woodwork that came out after he passed and said, wow, like he really changed my life by X, Y, and Z. So um, I think that's the beauty of um, being able to live out what he is still living today. Jen, let's talk about some of the cultural norms at Zappos mm. that you think every leader can, in fact, implement into their company, into their yeah. team, into their small group. You were responsible for helping to launch Tony's best-selling book, Delivering Happiness. You now are the CEO of that consulting company by the same name. You also authored a best-selling book called Beyond Happiness. We'll talk about some of that in a minute. But will you, will you go back a decade or however many years and say, these are three or four mm -hmm. things that everybody may think they heard about Zappos. And because it was mm -hmm. acquired by Amazon or is VC funded or over in Vegas, I can't implement that. But speak to the facts of, no, you can do this and here is how you do it. Give our listeners some very key mandates on things they should be doing. Yeah, I love that question. I think because when people hear about Zappos and the Tony story and all that, they think about certain things that seem like, oh, that'll be great at Zappos, but it'll never work here. Right. And I think one of the fundamental things that people kind of just gloss over is that we always knew profits had to be in place. Like that was just a default. And people often think that that's you know, a byproduct which in ways it is because if you get the, the you get the people stuff right, profits will come or increase. But the thing is that we're not sidelining it. It goes hand in hand. So in the sense of people, purpose, and profits all go hand in hand. So that's number one. It's just to remember that that's very high priority in all of this. I think the second thing now, and, and part, partially is what we learned back then, and I'm trying to also put it in today's terms, is that we forget that people are our assets. And that sounds, you know, a little bit too, I don't know, rudimentary as a reminder for people at CEO level. But we get into this thing of like, oh, this is an, ex I mean, we're seeing it right now, you know, layoffs are happening. All these things are happening because we have to do it as CEOs. But the remembrance that, if we look at over time, historically, let's just take the last 15 years, consistently for those companies that double down on their people, uh, whether it be Fortune's Best Place to Work or you know, Great Place to Work, et cetera, those companies actually outperform financially the S&P 500, even in the downturns. So if we can try and reframe and remind ourselves of CEOs, and this was already happening back in the day, 15 years ago at Zappos, it's like we knew that if we treat people as our assets, in other words, invest in them, and they will invest in us, and not just financially and all the things that we talk about that lead to financial gain, like retention, like engagement, like all the things that we want as CEOs. So that's the second thing, is to reframe that it's not a liability if we treat them as the investments as they are. Um, I think the third thing is that just a reminder that it's not rocket science, but it is hard to do. Because I think as CEOs, we have so many priorities on our plate. And especially since we all got 2020, the world's rules have changed, not just with people, but you know how we do business. And not just the rules around us, we have changed as human beings, you know, as leaders. 
And I'm talking about every leader on every level. So I think an important thing to ask ourselves now is what is the leader we want to be? Because I can't, you know, we can't go backwards in time and say, this is what we did then and therefore it'll work now. That's just not going to be the case. I think what was very interesting as we reflect, as I reflect on the time, is that Tony was trying to be a better leader to himself. How can I actually show up authentically to who I am and make the impact that I want to make? And I think that's a huge question as today's leaders should uh, at least try to reflect on, if not embrace, because eventually what we see is that how we impact others, how we impact our company or our employees is a direct reflection of the person, i.e. the leader that we want to be inside. Jen, I think those are my biggest takeaways. Jen, several my... months ago, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Colin Cowie. Colin Cowie is known as one of the world's foremost thought leaders on luxury lifestyle management. He's an event planner, owns probably the most famous event planning company in the world. He has a book yeah. out called The Gold Standard. And mm. his tagline is that service is the new luxury, that you basically can buy everything now, but that service is a key differentiator. I mean, you might argue that, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, Zappos really put that mm -hmm. into practice in terms of, you know, shoes are shoes and prices are prices. But my, my legacy is that, remembrance is that Zappos put together a level of service, both to their employees and their mm -hmm. employees to their customers that spread like wildfire across organizations. Remind us of how service, service to colleague and service to customer were instrumental yeah. in building the culture at Zappos. Yeah, so I think that's the key there. And I love that you bring that up because it was just not this, you know, the traditional service to our customers, how best do we serve that? It was actually, if we put it in an order, it was actually service to each other first as employees in the sense that the equation is happy employees equals happy customers equals more profitable, sustainable business. And in that whole process, you're creating more meaningful lives, more purposeful lives, more lives that live by their values. So I think that's something to revisit in today's terms. It's just the service to customers is naturally always going to be there, but how we get there is making sure you create those environments, create the workplace so that they, there is a sense that we are here to serve each other first as colleagues, first as you know, human beings within your workplace environment. So I think that's the biggest context right now because that's why we're seeing great resignation, we're seeing burnout at an all-time high, and this is not just in the US, you know, Gallup is doing polls for the global workforce and we're seeing it around the world, you know, especially important for multinational companies. So we all know it's not easy when it comes to culture, but having that mindset that the service mentality needs to happen first with employees and then it naturally more naturally extends to the team, the, the customers and suppliers and vendors. And now, now that we have a bigger sense of how we impact our society and our planet, these are all intertwined and actually impact each other at the same time. Seems logical, also seems ethereal. What does it mean <laughs> for employees to uh, serve each other. Uh, mm -hmm. Every leader wants all their employees to rise to the occasion and forgive and pre-forgive and offer apologies and accept apologies and take responsibility and all the things that we know are important to building a great culture. Speak to yeah. the leaders right now of their teams. 
How do leaders build a culture where employees own the culture themselves? Yeah, so I love being able to take the ethereal into the day-to-day how. The culture, culture is, is how you live on a day-to-day basis. Like one of the side jokes we used to have is culture is what happens when the boss isn't looking. And so what we did at Zappos and then fast forward with delivering happiness and now we know time and time again, how do you make some ethereal things concrete in the how is being able to have a very strong foundation of not just having words on the wall of your higher purpose, not just having words of all of these are our values and not living them. This is where it comes to accountability of this is our higher purpose and these are our values and specifically defined here are our behaviors so that they are black and white as to who, so everyone knows in the organization, whether you're the CEO or a frontliner, like exactly what those values mean. And people are not just accountable, they're actually, you know, rewarded for it, recognized for it, incentivized for it. And on the other side, if they're not living it, then they actually will need to eventually, you know, be let known, but eventually transition out because it's not, if it's not good for, you know, the team or the organization, we know that it's just going to be more like sort of a virus of a cancer um, that just leads to the detriment of the company itself. So I think the biggest thing is being more black and white and actually codifying what it means to have a culture instead of just having fancy words on the wall. Jen, to that extent, are leaders responsible for the happiness of their employees? I, that's a loaded question because I don't think there's a responsibility per se because we can't, I can't, you know, twist your arms. Hey, Scott, you gotta be happy now, dude. (laughs) You gotta live life. It's just not gonna happen. So I think the responsibility as a CEO is to provide the environment, provide the conditions. And I talk about this in my book, uh, The Greenhouse uh, Model. It's about the con- creating the conditions as leaders for others to grow. And so I think that's what our responsibility as leaders, but at the end of the day, we can't twist other people's arms. And if they're not willing to go that route, if they're not being aligned to the senses of values and behaviors, then we know it's not the right fit. But you know, some people, let's just be real, they just don't wanna talk about happiness. And they don't want to see it that way. And we don't have to use the word happiness. We can talk about well-being. We can talk about fulfillment. We can talk about live an authentic life. And this is what I'm here as a leader to do. So we don't have to use the word term ha- or the word happy, but we can do something to make people understand this is for them so we can grow together as a team and a company. Jen, very recently I had the privilege on the other podcast I host for Franklin Covey of interviewing mm-hmm. Arthur Brooks. He, of course, is the Harvard Business school researcher, scientist, professor, and author of this seminal book, From Strength yeah. to Strength. It's really a book yeah. aimed at people, well, I, I would say it's aimed at my age. He would say it's aimed younger, about how do you make sure that you don't put your entire sort of self-worth and identity into your career because that at some point, sooner than we think, our skills, our relevance, our trajectory kind of ends and the rest of mm. your life isn't as fulfilled as you were when you were you know, identified as your career. And mm-hmm. he, he mentioned that in the course of this research for this number one New York Times book, Strength to Strength, he interviewed a female executive. My sense is gender is immaterial here. But he interviewed this executive and she said the following, with massive success in her career. She said, you know, my husband and I are basically roommates. I don't know my children very well. I probably drink too much. Mm-hmm. I'm very successful and I'm fairly miserable. 
and I'm not sure what to do about it. Arthur said, no, you probably do know what to do about it. The question is, will you? Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that conversation, she said something that I thought was profound. She said, loosely quoted, I spent my entire career trying to be special, mm-hmm. not trying to be happy. Mm-hmm. And it just like, it hit me like a wave, right? As, a, as, a, as an American, as an as a executive leader of a public company for a decade myself, as a responsible yeah. parent and spouse to four children or three children and a wife that depends on me financially. And, <laughs> you know, I, who's going to pay for my retirement home when I'm 80? And who's going to pay for my depends? And who's going to put my kids through college? I mean, I've got to focus on my career. What's yeah. the balance between, she said focus on being special, but how, how would you speak to the millions of people like me that want to pursue happiness but need a 401k. I want to pursue happiness, but I have obligations, responsibilities, and I'm trying to create life balance, and I recognize that my mortality is who knows how imminent. Any mm-hmm. advice you would give us, especially from Tony's passing, to say, here's some tips on being a great leader, building a culture where people choose to be engaged and happy, but you also mm-hmm. can be happy and all the pressures in life. It's a big question, yeah. I know. It is a big question. I, I can see your tendency now. You got, you got <laughs> sort of these big, like, uh, but you are an expert. I mean, questions. you are, no, I, I love can, these you questions. are an expert I on this wish, topic. I wish we had more time. That's all. No, but I love the layering of the question. Cause I think, and that, you know, Arthur's really big. We, I've been on his podcast. He's been on, yeah, we we're we've been kind of growing in this happiness space. It's interesting to see how his journey and where his approach is in on, on it now. And I think, um, you know, fast forward to now, again, we got to think about what's happened in the last few years. You know, things have fundamentally shifted. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to keep in mind. If we can reflect and actually integrate what we've learned in that, then that leads to what my answer is to, to what you just prompted. The reality is that they're not mutually exclusive. You know, like being happy and being special uh, or having obligations and having not just obligations because you want to do it, right? That's part of being happy is that you're being mm. able to be financially responsible and take care of yourself and the people you love. So that's what I mean when they're not mutually exclusive. They go hand in hand. And I think if the more we can try and reframe how these things coexist in our mind and they're not different from one another, that's giving more visibility as to how it can happen today and concurrently. So I'll give you an example of like, you know, for number one, happiness is, can be very subjective, but I think the biggest thing is, and this is what I've learned, especially in the last few years. Uh, so Tony and I used to um, talk about greenhouses as leaders and, and in the sense that we as leaders want to grow greenhouses so others can grow. Totally true, and I still believe that. What we forgot in that whole statement, and we forgot in that metaphor, is that as leaders, we need to also not just grow other greenhouses, but grow and nurture our own. And so that's where the tie-in to a leader's happiness is. If we're not taking the time to actually understand intrinsically, not extrinsically with the money we make or the title we have or the houses we have, it's intrinsic what is actually making us feel whole and authentic and feel like we're growing and and have live meaningful connections 
and having a higher purpose. These are all things I'm saying. I'm just not rattling them off and making it up. These are scientific bases of happiness. Then those things can actually be hand in hand with the other extrinsic things we want to do for our family in having a 401k, in having, you know, having their college fund, et cetera, because it's part of our happiness. So what I'm saying, the hardest work that we have to do is not the work we get paid for. It's the work we do internally. And I sound, I'm sure I'm sound like, sounding woo-woo right now, but it's science-based, but also now more than ever, it's life-based. If you really want to have this sense of living a fulfilling life, you got to do the work within yourself of what really is fulfilling to you. And that's how you really live on a day-to-day -day basis of not being happy from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, but being fulfilled and knowing you're living the way you want to live according to the values you want to live with the people you love. Jen, your company Delivering Happiness is really aimed at helping leaders, organizations create cultures of happiness, cultures where people choose to thrive and give back and do just what you said the last few minutes. Yeah. Speak to the leaders right now that are listening who know they need a better culture on their team. Is yeah. there like the number one thing a leader could do this afternoon or tomorrow morning that could help to incrementally improve the culture on their team? Recognizing that you know, mm -hmm. bad cultures happen for lots of reasons. The leader not modeling it well or corrupt systems or misaligned strategies or lots of reasons. Is there kind of like one or two simple things that could kind of ignite that spark to help to change the culture overnight? I would say yes and no, but because overnight it's, uh, sure. it's all, all relative. Yeah. But I think well, number one uh, is as a leader, and you may have been doing this in different ways, but like you may be doing a survey or engagement survey or whatever, something like that. But really, number one, ask and don't assume. Ask your teams, ask your people what is going on, really. With real talk, with psychological safety, that's a huge term that's going on right now and it's so important. People feel need to feel safe because there's still a lot of uncertainty around. Ask with attentiveness to listen. What is actually going on with that sense that they won't be reprimanded, they won't be fired, and you'd be surprised how much you will hear. And you know, as a leader, you can't please everyone, you know, you can't make everyone happy, but this is part of the ask in contextualizing and saying, look, I can't fix everything overnight, but I'm asking this because I want you to know that we're going to do this together. Uh, everyone can't be happy at one given time, but as long as we can figure out as a team collectively for the company's goals, these are the one, two, three things that we can celebrate and actually say, hey, we're doing really well at. These are the one, two, threes that are not going well and we're challenged by, but this is the time that we're going to try fixing them together. Attentive listening and being clear about your actions and, and promising that, you know, at least we're doing it together, but it's not going to be overnight. Those are the basic ingredients of what I've seen good leaders do in a very, still very uncertain, volatile time. Uh, you've also redefined what ROI means. Riff on mm. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it wasn't a redefinition, actually. It was the second one. So we, we know the traditional one of ROI. And the second one now is a ripple of impact. And I talk about the double ROI in my book because now we know, you know, we if we treat people as assets, we will get our ROI back if we do it right. We also know 
the double ROI is in that ripple of impact because if we are actually implementing these things that I've been talking about, having that higher purpose, having the values, having the defined behaviors, that means every single person in your organization is a walking example of that ripple of impact because that person is living that sense of purpose according to him or her, they, according your, to align to your own higher purpose of your company. And that ripples out to the team because they're all aligned in their purpose and the meeting and alignment of their goals with your business. And that ripples out to your customers, your partners and vendors, and eventually to your higher purpose of you know societal or global impact. So that's where the basis is of this ripple of impact is because we talk about purpose all the time, but how many companies actually operationalize it? And we see it, you know, going well in, in companies like Patagonia and, you know, those are poster childs like Airbnb doing it really well. How can you, you know, how can we as leaders in within our own realm make that shift so that we know that is just not a PR <laughs> gimmick or the next Instagram post that's supposed to be popular. It's actually every single person in your organization is part of that greater ripple of impact that your company is making to the world. Pretty amazing stuff. Jen, you, talked, you used the term greenhouse model a couple of times. How yeah. does someone become a greenhouse leader? I yeah, touched upon this really quick, but number one, it's kind of like that oxygen mask metaphor. Number one, you as a leader are trying to make, you know, make those conditions so others can grow. Also at the same time, you have to remember that you have to tend to your own greenhouse first. Leading by example, leading with transparency is, has been a big key since we got 2020 because people are looking towards those kind of leaders that actually are walking the talk. There was a study done by Deloitte just earlier, was it this year, maybe <laughs> late last year, that showed that more and more leaders are considering well-being and prioritizing that over their own career tra trajectory. So CEOs are saying, I care about well-being more than ever before, even more than my own pay or status. And they said that they were doing that for the rest of their employees too. But when the survey asked their employees, only 50% of them said they were that their leaders were. So there was like a 20, 25% gap between CEO perception and employee perception on how much well-being was being prioritized for everyone. So I think that's where we can start thinking about as leaders, are we truly creating an environment where people can grow, including your company, towards your company goals, and we're actually creating the environment so we can actually nurture our own and tend to our greenhouse as well. And that's when you see the ripple of impact happen because it needs to start from inside. It needs to start from ourselves first. Uh, take that one step further and we'll wrap up our time together. Uh, sure. what, speak to the C-suite, Inc. 5000, Fortune 5000, Global 4000, whatever you want to call. What do you want them to know about the emerging workforce? Um, yeah. Post-COVID, new demographic, mm -hmm. new values. What do you mm -hmm. want the C-suite <laughs> to know about the future of work and what they should be doing to build a culture where people choose to come and choose to stay and choose to be happy and choose to treat each other and their customers well. Yeah. Yeah, as, as we've all been seeing every week, there's a new headline, a new buzzword from the great resignation, quiet quitting, acting your wage. Uh, the list goes on and on. And we'll keep on seeing more, but isn't it really trippy how every month 
we've seen since all this craziness happened, there are more and more people still quitting in that great resignation, even during a time of volatility and uncertainty. So I think that's a huge indicator that this will continue. There are more people that are willing to say, no, I will not do that anymore. Yes, I will stand up for myself and what I believe in, what I prioritize for my life and for the people I love. So as leaders as of big organizations, no matter where you sit, the remembrance here, the reflection here is that people are wanting to be more true to their whole selves mm -hmm. and more willing to give up what they didn't give up before, which was the pay, which was the title, which was the norm of, you know, climbing that ladder. So there are tactical, non-ethereal ways and non-woo-woo ways to do this, but people want to be seen as whole. People want to be seen, heard, and understood. So if we bring that into the workplace, that's where your retention, that's when you're attracting the right people, and that's when you actually have more productive, engaged people that will want to be with you because you care as a human being, and you also care about the profits because you, without the profits, like we said, uh, there's no business to think about. Jen Lin, CEO and co-founder of Delivering Happiness, the author also of the book Beyond Happiness. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great items to think about no matter what level of leadership we're in, how big our company is, it really comes back to, you, know, you said, uh, asking, not assuming, right? Kind of declaring your intent, active mm -hmm. listening, and really understanding that we're in this together. We can't change it overnight, but we're, our behaviors and our intent are, are ideally aligned together. I appreciate your investing in our group today. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. And Thanks, we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.